Having the rent getting paid six months in advance can be a really good buffer to help have that potentially in an offset account or to put towards another purchase or anything that may come up with that property during that period. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash.Insider, where we help you become a better investor. And on today's show, we talk about four tips to maximize cash flow in your property investment portfolio. I'm joined by Jason De Silva, the head of client success at Dashdot, and we talk about four interesting and unique ways to be able to maximize the cash flow and returns in your portfolio right now, two of which give you the maximum return with the minimum effort, which I absolutely love. This is a goldmine if you want to actually navigate the current environment to maximize your opportunity and set yourself up for long-term cash flow success. So before we get stuck into it, make sure you hit the subscribe button, whatever platform you are on. And if you're on a platform that allows you to do reviews or leave a comment, do that too, because we love it and we read them all. And without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me today is Jason De Silva, the head of client success at Dashdot. Jason, how are you? I'm great, Goose. How are you? Awesome. I'm really delighted to see you again. I'm really delighted to be talking about what we're going to be talking about today. You've been on the podcast a few times. What's happened? What's been happening since the last time you were on the show? So I just got back from from Bali a few days ago. So that that was really fun. Got to take a, a bit of a break, spend some time with with a couple of my mates doing a few activities and then also hitting up a bunch of beach clubs as well. So it was really good mix between yeah. like having a chill time and also going out a little bit too. So that that was really awesome. Over the past couple of months and since I was last on the podcast, there've also been quite a few significant changes in the team as well. So we've grown our team out a little bit more, which seems to be happening quite quite regularly, which is awesome. Also looking at mm. new ways we can help support our clients, uh, looking at different strategies we can explore there. And yeah, which kind of leads us into this episode too, which is really exciting. Yeah, awesome. So I'm really excited about today's episode because there are only three critical constraints that any property investor needs to solve in order to have a scalable, profitable property portfolio. And ultimately, as you know, Jason, but for, for those people who might not know, most property investors never achieve their goals. Right. And that might sound a little bit wacky, right? But statistically speaking, the average property investor owns one, I think it's 1.28 properties, which basically is another way of saying that most property investors don't get past the first property and very few get to the second and only about 1% get to the fifth. And you probably need about five properties to be able to achieve your goals, broadly speaking. Yep. And so the thing, the reason that people don't get any further is because they get stuck. And they only get stuck because they reach a bottleneck in their portfolio or a critical constraint. And those three critical constraints are access to cash flow, access to capital, and access to debt or borrowing capacity. And I think if people can really understand how to navigate these things, it's gonna, they're going to be able to just – it's going to start to unblock a bunch of stuff. And you've astutely put down a bunch of tips for maximizing cash flow in the portfolio, which is very apt in the current environment. I'm excited to dig in. Where should we start? Yeah, let's do it. So I've just spent some time looking at a lot of our clients and, and what they're doing and also things that I've been doing in my own portfolio to kind of help navigate through these through these constraints. And apart from just the usual things that people give, trying to think of ways we can be a little bit more creative and, and help people move forward. So in terms of maximizing mm-hmm. cash flow, there were two main things that I picked up and there were a few sub sub strategies on top of that as well. So the first one was around lease renewals. So every time you have a property that's rented, usually three months before your property manager will send you an email with what the current rent is and what their recommended rent is. Sometimes they include a CMA, which will show you how they've justified and gotten to that recommended rent point. But most of the time, property managers don't. And 
sometimes if we're if we're quite time poor we can just accept that and just and just move on and accept the lease but there are a few ways we can kind of take advantage of this and, and capitalize on it to help stream okay. improve the the cash flow position so let's break it down a bit right so yep. basically what you so the opportunity there's an opportunity to maximize cash flow when you're renewing your lease right and yep. you've got a few different ways to think about approaching this what's the first like this kind of like you've got, I think, three different ways that you can approach maximizing this specific lever in your portfolio. What's the first one? The first one that I have is around renovations. So because that rental re- renewal period is is three months, that is that is quite a significant period of time before the new lease kicks into place. So it's a good opportunity to check with your property manager whether there are any minor or major cosmetic renovations that you can do to the property to increase the rent. And, and help navigate through the cash flow position because to be like with rents and leases, they last for a year. So if you don't take advantage of that opportunity when it comes, mm. you're stuck with the lower rent for that entire year until you have the opportunity to do it again. So I've actually just had this happen to me where I have a property, which is a duplex, which is two sides. One side is fully renovated. One side is not renovated. And I just renewed the lease on the unrenovated unit and it now have to wear the lower rent for another year, even though I could have done a ten dollars to $15,000 renovation and increased the rent by $60 a week. So it's quite a clear, it's quite a clear opportunity cost there now and, and having that, that lower rent for that extended period. So yeah, that's, 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 that's super interesting. And why was that? Was that just because you had, didn't think about it or because you were being time poor or is that like, is this one of those things where you've made a mistake and you're actually trying to make sure that other people don't make that same mistake? You could have been slightly less hasty and just done something different. Talk to me about that. I was definitely a bit hasty there because like, I was scared of the vacancy period with having the property renovated because I had just settled on that property and I didn't want to have it vacant and not have any rental income during that period. So it's it would have cost me maybe a month's worth of rent to be able to do those works but the dividends would have come through quite significantly once we achieved the higher rent. It might cost you a month's worth of rent in terms of like time being unrented. Correct. But also, then you've got the actual cost of the works. Yep. So I know that this the focus right now is on how to maximize cash flow, but also if you had done that $15,000, ten dollars to $15,000 reno, would that have given you an uplift in the value of the property as well or would it the only benefit have been the $60 a week? Because if it's just the $60 yeah. a week, some people might be like, Spend uh, fifteen grand to get sixty dollars a week. That's going to take quite a few years to kind of pay that back. But would there be have been other benefits that you would have traded that off to to make sure that made sense? Yeah, there would have been quite a few benefits. There would have been a capital benefit in the increased uh, price of the property. There would have also mm. been some tax benefits there as well, with having depreciation potentially as well. And uh, a lot of these properties, like duplexes, we're seeing more and more of them getting valued based off the rent that they produce. So if the rent mm. on the property is higher, the properties get valued higher based off the cap rate, which is usually our commercial properties are valued, but we're seeing a lot more residential dual income or even unit blocks getting valued this way as well. So there would have been a multi, multi-pronged multi uh, benefit there in, in doing that renovation. Awesome. Awesome. Have you seen uh, any other examples of where, where maybe clients have been able to do this kind of thing? Yeah, we've had Quite a few of our clients take advantage of this, actually. So the example that I have here is one of our clients purchased a three-bedroom home uh, with us, and it had three quite large bedrooms. And there was an opportunity there to break down 
that th- those three bedrooms and convert them into five five bedrooms. And from there, the rent was able to increase from three ninety per week to four seventy per week. So, and the cost to complete that renovation was about five thousand dollars. So our client did that immediately after the property settled, and was able to get that higher end of the appraisal straight away and and push up their cash flow position uh, to ride out the the interest rate cycle, which is just really exciting. Wow! So they basically took that from what was it like a three ninety to like a four seventy. Wow, that's a big jump. Yeah, that is a big jump. That's a well eighty dollars eighty dollars a week jump. And how much did it cost them? Can you just recap on that? How much did it cost to create that? It cost them approximately about five thousand dollars to complete that. That's renovation. all. Yeah, that's all. Wow. So basically, knocking a couple of walls, probably sticking a couple of doors. Off you go. Yeah. And because the these areas have such low vacancy rates as well, we're able to rent out the property relatively quickly. So there's minimal downtime there as well, which is really cool. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. And so what about, are there any other ways that we can think about maximizing the lease renewal phase? Yeah. So one really good strategy, which I kind of explored by accident, but I've tried and implemented this with quite a few clients now, and it's had a really good result is getting rental appraisals from other property managers just to validate the recommended rent from your property manager. So what I've noticed just with looking at quite a few of our clients that are going through this lease renewal phase is that property managers are not being as strong with the recommended rent to kind of maintain the peace between the tenant and the landlord. And they're trying to avoid friction. So the lease renewals that they're offering are quite conservative in comparison to what we could achieve in the current market. And I've seen this happen with quite a few different clients of ours in quite a few different areas as well. So not just one area. So for as an example, one of our clients, uh, Ashwin, who's actually been on the podcast, he purchased a property with us that was currently rented at 460 a week. And on the lease renewal, the property manager offered an increase to 520, which is a pretty high increase, to be That's honest. Big, yeah. yeah, it's a huge increase. But I had a look at the data during that time and the median rent had actually jumped up by $100. So I asked uh, one of our property management partners for a secondary appraisal just to validate and see whether that rent increase was in line. And they actually appraised the property at 600 to 620 a week, which is $100 over what the recommended rent was from the property manager. Yeah, and 140 to 160 dollars more than what it was currently rented at. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's epic. It's huge, right? So I went to our client and essentially told him to instruct the property manager to offer the 620 as a lease renewal, and the tenants accepted it straight away. So just by doing that one piece of work, we were able to increase the yield from 6.4 percent to 8.7 percent. And the property has gone from four thousand dollars cash flow negative in the current environment to over three thousand dollars positive. So that is that is freaking obscene. That is totally obscene. And I think that that is a um, that is something that people should be paying attention to because that that. So just to clarify as well, that wasn't even new tenants. It wasn't like kick the, the old tenants tenant. out. Let's get some new tenants. So the same tenants also understood that that was a fair price to pay. So they stayed. So you have the same quality of tenants that you already had in the property. That's a big plus. No downtime. Didn't have to kick them out, release it, do all that kind of stuff. So still got the same tenants. They're paying whatever that is, $160 a week more. And it's gone from a 6.46% yield, which is very, very good. Hmm. But in the current environment is cash flow negative. Went to 8.71 and went to 3K positive cash flow in the current environment. That's... Hectic. Insane. Through the o- and the only thing you had to do was get a second opinion. All we had to do was send one email to get another rental appraisal. 
that was two seconds of work wow. for quite a sizable increase in cash flow. Wow, that's unreal. That is unreal. That's definitely something everyone can do uh, in the current environment. What else? Any other tips? Yeah. So the last one that I had just around the lease renewal side was having a chat to your property manager about potentially getting a government tenant in your property. So these are quite specialized tenants and usually the consensus is that it has to be a specialized property like an NRS type of property, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, there are a lot of properties in in some of the locations that we're buying in and potentially some of the locations that um, the listeners have properties in as well where they can apply for their property to be leased by the government. And there are, there are quite a few mm. benefits there. One of the main benefits is that the tenants pay the rent six months in advance. So once they sign the lease, they pay six months of rent in advance, which can help with cash flow management. And as you get closer to the that six-month period, they pay the next six months of rent in advance. So there's consistent cash flow coming in without having to worry about potentially tenant default or, or any of those issues because you're leasing the property to the government, which is quite a stable tenant. There's also a lot of maintenance benefits as well. So there's no bond required. The government will pay for any maintenance items as they come up within reason. And they will also accept any rent increases in line with the market provided you can justify how you've arrived to that amount. So there's no real rental negotiation in in that aspect as well, which helps to Mm. keep things a little bit easier and also helps to ensure that you're getting the market rent for your property every time the lease is renewed as well. That's super interesting. A lot of people are going to be thinking though, if it's not NRAS or NDIS, does it mean that you're like, is it like you're effectively turning your house into like public housing has got a bad rap? Mm. Let's just put it that way. So does that mean you're going to be suddenly renting to less desirable tenants or do you have any um, kind of optics on that? Yeah, so we've had quite a few of our clients take this up and they haven't had any maintenance or property issues. All of the rent is paid on time. There haven't been any maintenance issues that have come through from the tenants. And even on the lease renewals, the property managers have done all their ingoing inspections and haven't found any problems. So it hasn't been a major issue. And even if there is an issue, those can be reported directly to the government who will take care of it. So for the clients of ours that have those properties rented, there are cleaners coming into the property to make sure everything is as it should be. The gardening work is getting done as well. So in some instances, they actually would take care of the property better than a, a normal tenant would, which is, which is really exciting. And plus you get that those side benefits there as well of having the maintenance taken care of and the consistent rental income as well. That's super, that's super interesting. So the government renter will take care of basic maintenance, look after the property, do all that kind of stuff, pay six months rent in advance. How often can you seek to increase the rent and how long are the lease? So usually the leases are for 12 months, similar to a normal lease. Mm -hmm. And then you can do the rent increases uh, in line with that as well. So it isn't like a very three to five year leases and not as, as common with those types of properties. It's usually 12 months. Yeah. Super interesting. Would you do it? Personally, I would I would definitely do it. Uh, I know some of the areas where I have properties in do have that as an opportunity as well. And it's also really cool because usually when when people buy a property or when some clients buy a property, they usually use a lot of their capital to put that towards the purchase. So having the rent getting paid six months in advance can be a really good buffer to help have that potentially in an offset account or to put towards another purchase or anything that may come up with that property during that period. Because usually what happens when you buy a property is that tenants are just getting used to it when it's rented. So you usually get a bunch of maintenance requests. There's usually a bit of rent arrears because you're getting paid like the, um, you have to pay the rental commissions and all those inspection fees as well. So having six months rent can be quite a good buffer to have there just to ride out that initial period as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Super interesting. What about... 
Interest rates. What can people do about that? You got any ideas there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few different things that we can do. So currently with interest rates, people can refinance, but there is a... um. I guess they're calling it like a mortgage prison now where with the buffer rates increasing and the APRA rate at 3%, it can make it quite difficult for you to refinance to another bank, even though you may be able to get a potentially better interest rate and be in a better position. So it's a bit, a bit mm. contradictory. So there's a few things that people can do around this to kind of help write that interest rate storm out. And one is to call your bank and ask for an interest rate review. So this is something that we're encouraging our clients to do and something that our broker partners are doing quite proactively as well, where they'll reach out to a client, just get their permission, and then they'll call the bank and ask for a better interest rate. And most banks will let you do this once every six months, but there are some that will let you do it even more frequently than that. And you can ask for a better interest rate and essentially threaten the bank that you're going to refinance unless you get a better deal. And from there, they they will come to the party with a potentially a better rate. And sometimes I've had even clients get cashbacks by doing this as well. So one of our clients was able to get, I think it was a $2,000 cashback by doing this, uh, in addition to getting a better interest rate on their loan as well. Wow. Well, that's super interesting. I know that we've done that as well. So we have been able to negotiate our uh, interest rates down, really not even really doing much. Just like, hey, can we have a, can we have a, can we have some yeah. cheaper interest rates basically? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I, I literally did this yesterday. So I have a loan with NZ that's a 6.3%. When I, when I settled the loan, uh, now it's currently 6.8% with the latest rate rise. I called them for literally three minutes and they dropped the interest rate to lower than what I had before the loan was formally approved. So they dropped it by 1% and all I had to do was just talk to them for three minutes on the phone. It's just a, it's a big, big payoff for a very small, uh, <laughs> very small so, level of work. And for clients that so, don't want to so do... You, sorry, go. Yeah. Yeah, so you, so you went to like 6.8, you were at 6.84 and it dropped by how much? By a percent. So you were down under the fives. Yeah. 5.84%. So you got to, yep. that's a big, that is yeah. a big jump. Yeah, and that's that's lower than the formal approval that I had the loan at as well when the loan was actually approved by the bank initially. So huge difference. Like the property that I had, it's, it's almost gone from, it's almost become $6,000 cash flow positive just by making that one small conversation with the bank. Well, so, what was it before you, what was it, what, what was the actual change? Do you know, it might be kind of like yeah. a little too detailed here, but like, what was it when you were at 6.84 and then what was it when you got it dropped to 5.84? Yeah. So I had a look at this because I thought it was really interesting. So the property went from with at 6.84 was about $2,700 cash flow positive. And after the, the rate drop, it's gone to almost $8,000. So quite a significant, what? quite a significant increase just by, just by calling, like that's the best value add you could you could do to a property that's even better than the renovation because it doesn't, it doesn't cost that's you anything. Insane. That's like added $5,000. That's added $5,000 of cash flow to your portfolio, yeah. broadly speaking. That's yeah. really good. So, man, that's awesome. And so, do you have any tips for negotiating? Like, you obviously sounds like you didn't need to do much, but like, it, some people are going to be a little nervous calling the bank or calling the broker or whatever. But like, you got any tips for how to kind of do that or how to navigate that? Yeah, there's a few things you can do. So the first one is if you have a broker, it's easier to just get them to do it because they're doing this on a day-to-day basis anyway. And they can just call the bank on your behalf. They may ask you to sign a form or two just to give them consent to do it. And it's usually a very short conversation for them to to organize that on your behalf. But if you want to do it on, on your own as well, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward process. Just give the bank a call. Before you do that, just have a look and see what the interest rates are. Or if you have a broker, just ask them what, what are the interest rates that they're seeing at the moment. And if they're not in line with what you're paying, just give the bank a quick call. Just explain to them 
where what you're seeing the interest rates are from your research and what what interest rate you currently have and it's a pretty logical conversation but if they if you get any pushback or if the bank is not willing to negotiate you can ask them for uh, a discharge form which is essentially authority for them to release the mortgage over to another lender and that usually gives them a little bit of a push to kind of go back talk to their talk to the manager or, or whatever and and have a look and see if there's anything better they can do. So that seems to be quite an effective strategy. And quite a lot of our clients and some of our team members uh, have done this as well to kind of bring the rates down because it doesn't really require that much effort other than a few minutes of your time. And you're getting quite a sizable benefit in the interest savings as well over the life of the loan. And you can do this every six months. So you could literally just every six months set a reminder on your phone. And just if you have multiple properties, it could be tens of thousands of dollars saved every year on your loans. It's not just tens of thousands of dollars saved. It's tens of thousands of dollars of extra cash yeah. in your portfolio, Yeah, right? Which is actually a different psychology. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm saving this expense. It's like, no, no, you're actually adding all Correct. of this cash flow, which is yeah. big. So what I like about these these four tips that you've kind of given us, so that so n- number one was ask your property manager if there's any renovations you can do to increase the rent on the property. Number two was get competitive rental appraisals from other property managers to val- validate the lease renewal but when, in, before you renew the lease. Number three was explore uh, with property managers if you can get a government tenant because it might be more secure, better rent, et cetera. And number four was doing an interest rate review. Now, two of these have a very similar strategy and that is a like a – a competition type strategy. So with hmm. the property managers, it's like, well, I'll go and get it, you know, hey, I've got this other person who's saying they can get me this much rent. So what do you think? So it is kind of that same thing yeah. as going to the bank and saying, hey, look, you know, I could get better rates elsewhere. So like, what are hmm. we going to do here? Both of those strategies netted several thousands of dollars in the examples that you've given of additional cash flow in the portfolio. So in the case of um, the example that you gave with, with Ashwin, he basically went from like, what was it, negative four grand cash flow to positive three grand cash flow. So that's a $7,000 swing. And in the case of um, what you've just mentioned there with yourself, it was a roughly a $5,000 swing in cash flow. So those two seem to be mm. the biggest levers yeah. out of those two, which is pretty cool. 100%. And those things as well, are d- things that don't cost money, they just cost time and they provide a very high ROI, especially given the current vacancy rates and the interest rate environment as well. And there are also things that you can do continuously yeah. now to varying to varying degrees. But you can do a reno, and I mean, you could do a reno every year, but probably not mm. going to be a good use of capital. 100%. Um, but you could do a reno, and that's fine, and that's, that's a thing, a, a button you can push, but you're probably not going to do another reno for like, I don't know, 10 years mm. or so, probably. Yeah. Um, but your lease gets renewed every 12 months or whatever your mm. lease terms you set are. So you have the opportunity to go, okay, hey, am I maximizing this at the moment right now? And of course, you also still want to optimize to make sure you've got good quality tenants. It's great to have tenants that stay. You want to look after them as well. It's not all just about squeeze, 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 but fair market rent is also fair market rent. So that's that's okay as well. So you can do that every kind of 12 months. And then the interest rate view, you can do that every six months. So two of those levers are periodically re- repeatable that you can continue to varying degrees of efficacy each time, I'm sure. But it is really cool to see that there's a repeatable process in there that people can follow as well. Yeah, 100%. And this is in the current interest rate environment. So once the interest rates drop and you've got those high rents in place, that's going to make a that's only going to amplify your cash flow position. So <laughs> 
Totally. Yeah. Hey, just on um, speaking of like amplified cash flow, the example that you gave there of a uh, your interest rate got dropped from six point eight four to four five point eight four, and it went from positive twenty seven hundred to positive eight k. I can't help but wonder what on earth is the yield that you have on that property because that's that is that's they're silly numbers in the current environment. How what what is the yield on that property? Tell yeah. Me about that. So that that property is yielding at over eight percent. So it's eight point two percent yield. I think it's sorry. Where no, is it? It's eight point five percent yield. Uh, it's in WA. Where? Come on, tell us about this. Tell yeah, us about this yeah, yeah, super yeah. property. So this one was um, this one's a really interesting one. So this is a a house and a and a granny flat in the mm. Rockingham region in in WA. It's a three bedroom house that's been fully renovated to a four bedroom, two bath, double car garage. And it has a brand new granny flat that the owners built at the back. And the owner was currently using the property. And this is this is a really good story on the rental rental side as well, right? So the owner had the property, they were living at the house and they were renting the granny flat out. And in the real estate listing, they said you could rent out both both properties at 760 to 780 in total. So if you rented out the house and the granny flat separately. And they were asking about five ninety nine. So we had our property manager appraise that property, and he appraised the property at eight forty to eight eighty. So already significantly over and above what the what the real estate agent had said. And then in the end, they rented it out at nine eighty in total. So significantly above what? their their estimate as well. So that one was that's a that's a unicorn for sure. I've I've never seen that. They released it a hundred dollars over the already high estimate that they gave to me. And that property is brand new as well. So it has $300,000 worth of depreciation as well. So what it's like literally brand new, like literally just got built or uh, the granny flat's like two years old. And then the house has just been yeah. fully gut renovated. So um, wow. not, not brand how much new. Did you pay? How much you pay all up? That one was $599,000 in total. Dude, that's a beast. I didn't know about this This absolute – that's a steamer. Yeah, it's a, scr- it's a like, screamer. It's definitely a screamer. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that's huge. So, Jason, where do, you think, uh, where do you think the real estate market's going over the next 12 months? What's your – there's a lot of – I'm asking this because what it appears has happened is that the rental crisis in that area and also every area has dramatically pushed up the demand for rents in, in that area. That's obviously why it's like, oh, we think it's going to be this. No way, it's going to be this. Mm. No, it's going to be this because yeah. the prices are skyrocketing out of control. And I'm massively empathetic to uh, all of the renters out there as well. I just think it's also really interesting that um, property investors are actually the solution to the problem. They're not mm. the problem, right? Yeah. So a lot of people kind of forget that. But given that there's less properties being built at the moment, there's a lot of building companies that are going bust, um, which naturally means less things are getting built. Plus, we've got migration pouring in. Plus, we have a massive deficit in the amount of houses that we currently have for the amount. Of- Literally, I'm wondering, all these people that are coming into the country, I'm actually just wondering where they're going. Mm. Like. Like, like literally where are they going? Because we don't have enough houses. So like, what is there like some kind of secret cave city somewhere that they're all moving? I don't even know. But with, with all of these kind of forces, plus I'd love to get your opinion on where you think rates are going. What do you think is the, what do you think is on the horizon for Australian real estate? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And just from what we're seeing on the ground with, with our clients, there's still a very competitive buying opportunity. We're still getting outbid on on multiple properties. Although there is that interest rate fear, people are still taking advantage of the opportunities that are available. And we're buying some really good properties for our clients as well. And they may be potentially cash flow negative from the outset, but we've already spoken about what's going on in the current market with vacancy rates 
and uh, with the interest rates as well and how that's going to help alleviate in in future. So in terms of interest rates, I'm not I'm not 100% sure what's what is going to happen because obviously it's what the RBA said versus what has unfolded is is quite, is quite different. So uh, I think we are getting close to the interest rate cliff and we should start to see some pauses hopefully in the next couple of months and then potentially some rate drops as we go into 2024 as well. I did read this article from Westpac that said, rates were going to drop seven times or something in 2024, but I don't know how accurate that is. Uh, but I think there's definitely a, uh, a slowdown coming in the next couple of months. Yeah, of course, no one actually knows. I mean, like at the end of the day, what happens is the RBA board meets once a month and decides. And so it's impossible mm. to, to to know what is going to happen because there's human decision being made. But certainly all signs are pointing to not only uh, potentially the end of the rate rising cycle coming pretty pretty soon, interest rate decline post that as well, which will be pretty interesting. And I think that that is going to, like at the moment, there seems to be a lot of people still sitting on the fence, which makes total sense, mm. right? So I don't want to be sitting here and be kind of coming across like for all the people who are sitting on the sidelines wondering what to do and not taking any action, yeah. that makes total sense, right? It is totally reasonable because it's hard to know what to do in an environment where the 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 media is saying that the real estate market is crashing and interest rates are rising and all this kind of stuff. It is natural to question whether or not you're actually making the right choice. However, as you can attest to, I'm sure, all of our clients that are purchased through this kind of like market crash have all seen positive growth. Do you think yep. that's a fair statement? Yep, 100%. Yeah, 100% of our clients have seen positive growth even during a market crash. In fact, I think they've all had basically the same returns that we've gotten every year for the last couple of years. And on top of that, you know, there's, there's potentially... There's all the migration plus then all of the, you know, there's all of these other factors kind of playing into it. It's kind of like you can kind of see that the market is going to, my personal opinion is we're about to, we're about to take off. Once we start seeing that kind of like drop off of mm. rates, it's going to be like rocket fuel. And, and the thing is, I, I just can't pragmatically see how that can't be true given the market forces that are, that are around. So I think it's, I think we're up for an interesting couple of years ahead of us. 100%. Yeah. Completely agree. Awesome. Jason, great to have you on and uh, really useful tips for maximizing cash flow. Love this. I'm sure this is going to be super helpful for a lot of people. I'd love to get you back on and talk about some of the other, some of the other tips you've got potentially around um, how to maximize things like borrowing capacity and access to capital and stuff like that if you're up for it. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. See Thanks, you soon. Bye.